0: if I was that guy's age and my parents walked in on me, then if they had walked in on me jerking off,
1: Radio Drone. It's another episode of Radio Drone. I am Josh Hadley. With me as always is that commie pinko Peter. <laughs> long live the new flesh. You can long live the new flesh. Cecil, yeah. are you are you a death to video Um no. You haven't seen the movie in a while, have you? No. Death to video <laughs> long live the new flesh is the tagline.
0: Um die hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you want to die hard what you do is you go to adamandeve.com there you go nice. you, you use the promo code drome and you get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you order you get six free dvds a free mystery gift a gift for him a gift for her and free no peter shipping all for using the promo code drome at adamandeve.com Speaking of drones, we're not going to be talking specifically about video drone tonight, although it will come up. I want to talk about subversive films. Now, when I say subversive films, what that what that means in film terminology is essentially a movie that's masquerading as something else. For instance, a movie like Network. It's masquerading as a character drama when really it's a savage, savage indictment of television and where Patty Chayefsky saw television going. They Live is a subversive film. It's a film that is an action movie on the surface, but really is a savage indictment of Reaganomics and the late 80s economic system. So a subversive film would be a movie that's pretending to be one thing, but is really saying something else. Now, obviously, that's a subjective term. What would you consider to be your go-to
2: subversive film, a film that's always you've, you've enjoyed on two levels? They Live is a great example, because that really is a fantastic movie that has so many great elements of of different things. It's got the action, and it's got just that uh, that great great message. Another one would probably be, if, if I'm thinking about movies that are masquerading as another thing, RoboCop would be a pretty good example of that, because it's both a solid action film, but it's also got a lot of political satire, and even some, like, some horror elements and, and stuff like that. So those probably be my my two top picks. Or And then other than that, I don't know, really anything David Lynch or Cronenberg has done.
1: And with RoboCop, you also have the
2: Christ analogy as well,
1: which mm-hmm. you don't notice at first. But I mean, like literally, you know, he gets resurrected when they're putting him together. He's on a cross. I mean, hell, at the end, he literally walks on water. Yep. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Christ allegory—it starts off subtle and does not
0: end so subtly, but that's Verhoeven. I'm gonna say Robocop and They Live, but uh, you beat me to it. That's because uh,
1: those are two of the <laughs> most obvious, really. Two of the most
2: awesome, to be honest.
0: Oh, they certainly are. I will go. Uh, also, uh, I'll bring up uh, Natural Born Killers which uh, War just... Killers is on my list. That's absolutely a subversive film. <laughs> oh, it
1: totally is.
0: Uh, yeah. It's it just, uh, that was a movie that uh, man, did people just not even remotely understand that movie when it came out <laughs> Dawn of the dead too. Hmm.
1: D- Dawn of the dead would be a good day of the dead as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, well pretty and... much any of the Romero movies really, but uh, most, I feel Dawn of the dead is the most, uh, it does it the best as far as kind of show, you know, the, the whole commercialism angle and all that stuff.
1: I'll agree with you on that, but I'd actually say of the Romero stuff, Knight is actually the most subversive. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you got you to remember when Knight of the Living Dead came out. This is 1968. Martin Luther King had just been assassinated. JFK had just been assassinated. You've got the rise of the hippie movement and his Romero is very open about how his movie is literally about the new society swallowing the old society that refuses to change. Because part of the point of the movie is if these people could just work together and put their prejudices aside, they all would have survived the night. Think about it. The zombies only kill two people in that whole movie. All Mm -hmm. the rest of the main characters kill each other. That movie is all about this. That movie is the '60s personified. You just don't notice it because it's a zombie flick. I actually never thought
2: about that. Uh, Well, I mean, it's probably just because I haven't seen *Night of the Living Dead* in a little while. But that's that's actually a really solid point. That uh, you know, that it's these people surrounded by the Walking Dead, but it really kind of comes down to their enemy being themselves. And with uh, with *Dawn*, *Dawn* had that great uh, commercialization thing satire of that and then day of the dead i really enjoy because like you have the soldiers and you have the scientists and what it seems like to me i don't know if it was intentional or not it probably was but both of them don't really have elements of neither good or evil like you you kind of see where captain Rhodes is coming from and where the scientists are coming from and especially with uh you know with frankenstein where he's uh He's feeding the like like the bodies of the dead soldiers to to keep you know Bub nourished and you, you can really see why Captain Rhodes might be a, a little bit f***ing pissed off about that. So it's it's really excellent when neither are really good guys or or bad guys. It's it's sort of uh, it's this inner message that. Uh, you could be fighting yourselves even though you have, like, these monsters around you. Like, I think all, all three of them have um, some really solid uh, messages and satire in them, but... Uh, I think I'd,
1: I'd even de- go as uh, far as the fourth one, too. The, the, that's, yeah. a, that's very much an indictment of
2: pretty much the Bush administration's terrorism policies. So Yeah, they're all they're all really solid. The the, the Land of the Dead, I, I really like. All four are just uh, really... Because they're not just zombie movies. Like, there's something there's more to it than that when you actually think about them and I think that's that's really cool because see when it comes to
1: subversive films a, a lot of people confuse like before the show Peter asked me what is a subversive film I, I believe the way you put it was is that just like a, a weird experimental film and, and I'm like no because well, that's what a lot of people think subversive is they'll list like I saw so many lists of subversive films that have the William S. Burroughs 1984 Decoder movie on it, the German film. It's a great mm. film. It's just a weird movie for the sake of weird. It's not trying to make a point about anything. A subversive film would be something that is masquerading as something else. That's why you have something, you have something like 1971's Johnny Got His Gun, which most people – it's sad more, more people know that from the damn Metallica song than they do from the actual movie being a fantastic film. That it's, it's on the surface, it's a pro-patriotic, this is why we fight, this is why war exists, because freedom has to be fought and bled for. Really, it's about, this is why war is wrong and war is terrible. <laughs> so that's that's a subversive film. You, do you see what the difference is between a weird movie and a subversive film?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you, you, when you have weird for the sake of weird, it's just kind of weird but then when you've got a like uh, like examples we made like uh, like Robocop or They Live or Night of the Living Dead where it's like okay this is marketed as a horror movie but there's a message to it there's something it's trying to say more than just here's a character with a big gun shooting people there's there's a why to it there's uh there's a dissection of something in in culture or or politics or some kind of social satire to it so yeah i can I can see where you're coming from, for sure. The most obvious would be Network, but you, you get some that are less obvious, like
1: 1931's Dracula, Todd Browning's Dracula. That movie mm. was all about sex. You could not show, <laughs> in a sexual context, a man kissing a woman on the neck, caressing her lingerie-clad body, stalking her in the night. All of these things were against the movie code. But mm. a vampire doing it was a very sexual sensual act, that got on the screen where it would have been pornography otherwise. Todd Browning and Universal very cleverly subverted the code to essentially get a sex film made in the guise of a vampire book.
0: Yeah, it is kind of funny to think of it in in that uh, perspective, because, you know, we're seeing stuff now and there's so much stuff that pushes the envelope and, you know, with with the ability to just go on the Internet and look at, you know, hardcore pornography, it's funny to think that uh, back then something, I mean, there's certain, there's some Dracula movies that are rated G now. In
1: 1931 context, that's a very sexual film, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, uh, Bell Lugosi was a sex symbol.
1: Talk about standards changing.
0: Yeah. Pull the strings! <laughs>
1: no, that's, that's, the the strings. that's the 50s. That's the 50s. He doesn't do
0: the Ed Wood stuff till the he late doesn't, 50s. He doesn't do that until later. Beware. Take care. The big green <laughs> dragon that sits on sits. your doorstep. <laughs> he eats puppy dog tails
1: and big and fat big
0: snails. Sales.
1: <laughs> home i have no home this jungle hell is my home okay we're not gonna just talk about Bella, Ray, moments in Ed Wood i could do that all night i know gene roddenberry the kind of hack that he was he did have the great idea of star trek being a subversive series you could not on 60s television talk about race issues or sex issues and i mean sex as gender gender issues or the the inequality of the poor versus the rich. All of these things were absolutely taboo on television. But if you have an alien that's black and an alien that's white having to deal with this, if you have an alien of both genders, if you have aliens that are doing this, that was okay. I think Star Trek is an ab. I'm talking the original Trek is an absolute example of a complete subversive series because you could not do this on any of the li- on the you know contemporary TV shows, but you do it in outer space with an alien and it's okay.
0: Oh God, yeah, you didn't even have to. I you know the, the, the there were so many things they did. The whole uh, black-white racial issue. You know he's black on the one side, he's white on the other. Side. You know I don't remember which side was the right way to be you know black on but uh frank gorshin
1: was the racist in that i just want to point (laughs) that out
0: okay but there's that i mean you had uh you had the first interracial kiss on television i mean yeah he did a lot of deeper stuff than you know wasn't just space travel you know it was kind of uh, a lot of social issues got you know disguised as so you know space stuff look, uh, look at the episode dagger
1: of the mind by richard matheson now you gotta remember this is back in an era when we didn't have psychiatric hospitals. We had crazy houses. To deal with the issue of the mentally the mentally unstable in a compassionate manner, you were never going to get that on Dragnet or whatnot. But you can do that in a space asylum.
2: Yeah, as, uh, as Cecil said, you didn't even really need to to bring up the context like they, they were totally doing that uh doing stuff that they wouldn't normally be able to do but making it uh passable just because it was with uh with aliens in space
1: well now something else a little more quote down to earth i know i don't know if uh cecil was a big fan of this series but i know peter was i really think miami vice was a hell of a subversive series especially seasons two oh, three absolutely. and five because Really, especially when you look at Vice as a whole, on the surface, it's a flashy MTV-style cop show, but really it's about the futility of the drug war and the corruption, both in the literal and abstract sense, of those who have to fight the drug war, both on the criminal and the procedural side. Because, Peter, I, I think it was season three, of the 24 episodes, there were only like six that did not end with the bad guys losing. I mean, wasn't that <laughs> whole show essentially about we can't win the drug war and the toll it takes on the people? I mean, how many episodes of Vice dealt with corrupt DEA agents, corrupt judges, corrupt politicians, or corrupt police officers, all corrupted by the system they were working in? The bad guys were the better characters in some cases, weren't they? Vice was yep. absolutely a subversive
2: show. I mean, even with uh, even with a character like Crockett, who is, is in, in deep deep undercover with his job and he's he's subjected to both the lifestyle of the people that he's arresting. Can sense that he's kind of starting to adapt a little too much to the to the criminal underbelly of, of the city and that he he's almost kind of slipping into it, which which uh, is just a, a commentary in itself on just how much these uh the police get immersed in in what they're doing and and the kind of toll, like both physically and mentally that it can have. Season three was almost completely nihilistic as well. I mean, Mm. season
1: three was all about just how bad this is on both sides. Season one was kind of fun. Season two and three were darker and more nihilistic. Season four was the goofy season with aliens and the goddamn Sonny Burnett crime lord story arc. And then (laughs) season five started to get dark and nihilistic again. The series ends with Crockett and Tubbs having to quit the force because they cannot deal anymore with the bullshit that the CIA has been putting them through by keeping the drug war going because it's propping up the governments that the, the, the puppet governments that the CIA secretly controls. They literally can't take it anymore and quit in the series finale. That's a pretty subversive thing for
0: a goddamn cop show. Isn't it? I liked Miami Vice, but I mean, I've really only seen um, a few handfuls of episodes here and there. So Uh, Not enough to really... uh, I mean, I I get all of what you're going for because I know I remember a lot of different episodes where, uh, you know, it was a lot of uh, crooked uh, DEA agents and uh, all that. And I really would like to go back and watch it again because I did... I've seen various episodes over the years. Uh, I just I'd like to see if it's on Netflix or something. Maybe I can just start at the beginning and kind of no,
1: it actually just got pulled
0: last month. Did it? Uh, no,
1: I yeah, it, it just left Netflix. I've well... got all the DVDs so I can watch them like another subversive TV show. I know, Cecil, you'll agree with me. Max Headroom is the very definition of, of a subversive TV show.
3: Oh it on, god
1: it was a high budget network television show that was all about making fun of how bad and stupid high budget network TV was and it took them 2 years before ABC realized that they were the ones being made fun of and they were airing it
0: Oh excellent show I, it like they they completely were uh they're kind of like the sci-fi version of network You know, I look at it from like how far ahead they were as far as calling things, you know, call it, you know, reality television, blipverts, uh, just so many different things that they they were way ahead of. I mean, they, they, you know, even the, the 20 minutes into the future, it could not have been more apt. You know, it's they really were just ahead of their time and they were just constantly poking fun at the network and showing just the corruption and all that. And and yeah, they didn't. I think that honestly, I think if the show would have done better ratings wise, they wouldn't care that they were continuing, you know, that they were making fun of them. It's just that unfortunately the show was just too far out there for a lot of people. It was too
1: smart. People didn't
0: get it. Yeah, people didn't get it, and it it just uh, also it,
1: the it, fact that it was up against Miami Vice and Dallas didn't
0: help. Well, yeah, that was. I think that was that always will will kill a good show. I always like when hey, we've got this brand new show. We're gonna put it against other shows that already have a built in audience that, and then they wonder why it's not doing well.
1: I I, rem- <laughs> I remember when when Push Nevada debuted. I and I'd already seen the unaired pilot, and I'm like, this is an amazing series. Oh, it's going up against CSI. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Yep, seven episodes <laughs> later, gone. You have other kinds of, let's well, let's stick with TV for just one more here. Well, two more, but they're both from the same creator. Kenneth Johnson, Alien Nation and V, and I'm mm-hmm. talking the original V. We're very subversive TV shows. I mean, V.
0: Well, you're talking the, mini, the two miniseries.
1: Yeah, the, the original V and V the Final Battle. And then the Alien Nation TV series, because even Kenneth Johnson's not happy with the damn movie. Galen Hurd wrecked that.
3: Oh, uh, the,
1: the, the James Conn one, he doesn't like at all. Which is why Alien Nation, the TV pilot, is the same story, but according to Kenneth Johnson on the commentary, done properly.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, it's I, the same
1: I, plot, and it's just done so much better.
0: It really is, uh, and and uh, the guy who plays. Um... The guy who played uh, Francisco, I liked better than than James or Was that, Oh, wait, no, 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 uh, P- Sykes. Pataki. Sykes. No, no, okay, no, no, I'm sorry. Sykes, right, right, I'm mixing my characters. Sykes was Gary Graham in the show yeah. and was Khan in the movie. Yes. And then uh, was it Pataki was was in the... um uh, In the movie,
1: in the movie, George, Mandy Patankin. And- Mandy Patankin.
0: Mandy Patankin was in, yeah. I liked... I like George in the show better than Mandy Batankin
1: in the movie, according to Kenneth Johnson, he said Galen Heard stripped out any any subtext and any message that it had and just made a buddy cop movie where one of the cops happens to be an alien. he said mm-hmm. he's like Galen Heard just made an action movie out of what what you know Kenneth Johnson probably being a little too close to it. What he said was a very thoughtful, subtle script, and when you see the TV the two hour TV pilot, you go, yeah. If that's essentially the same script,
0: she did destroy that script. She did, because the the TV show was light years better. I mean, I I enjoy the movie.
1: And it's ironic. It had a much smaller budget and was so
0: much better. It was so much better. Well, that's the thing. That's the strength of storytelling. If you have, you know, the right amount of money and you have a very strong script— a, you know and you are able to tell that story then that's going to be so much better and that's why the show you know even though it went on for a season they had what four or five movies five and like tv movies five tv movies
1: as well as a comic book series and a
0: series of novels yeah i mean fox really they should have given that at least another season
1: alien nation was a great show and it like v v was mm-hmm. all about you got to kind of put your guy you guys were too young but you got to put Look at the 1984 context of the original V, the 1983 context of the original V, you had the growing skinhead movement and the rising neo-Nazi fascism in America. That's what that whole thing was was warning of. But the network didn't want to take it on so abruptly because V was originally supposed to be just a modern 1983 take on the old novel It Can't Happen Here about the rise of Nazism in germany prior to world war ii and they were like no no no, no, no. and kenneth johnson saw he was losing them in the pitch mm-hmm. meeting he goes but the nazis are aliens and they're like oh oh now yeah. we're it in- because you know return of the jedi had just come out and everything they're like now we're interested
0: well, the 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 visitor symbol is a freaking swastika
1: without some of the edges. It's
0: a modified swastika. Co-
1: their uniforms are Nazi uniforms, just are colored not- differently.
0: Yeah, I mean <laughs> it. It, it uh, and to be perfectly honest, it's a good thing that he did that because I don't think it really, you know, it it would if if they did a straight up, you know, here's Nazis and all that, like it would pe- we wouldn't be talking about it now. Like it just wouldn't have had the same impact. But because it was the whole, uh, you know, here are these aliens, and they're really, you know, they, we think that they're our friends, but they come down, and oh my God, they're really lizard people, and oh my God, oh uh, the, uh, the the um, in, in the final battle when they gave birth, when the one girl gave birth to the the green lizard, the baby, yeah, scared the shit out of young little me.
1: I, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm older than you. I watched that first run. You I We saw that on, on the WGN reruns in the nineties.
0: Something I don't remember, but man, I cried and I could not watch that. But at just after that you had
1: Michael Ironside shooting lizards with, with armor piercing bullets.
0: Oh yeah. Well the thing is I went back and watched it again and I love it, but I'm like, oh man, well I was scared of oh, like it's a rubber puppet. What a, it's a bad
2: effect too. It's so <laughs> weird.
1: And I was
0: terrified. Oh my God oh my God! lizard baby!
2: i watched uh both yeah uh just on its on its uh, second run or whatever in the in the nineties the reruns and whatnot and uh yeah i really i like that one a lot uh v i remember a little more uh watching the uh that's that's the one that had like a bunch of t v movies right uh
1: it was uh, a first a four hour mini series and then a six hour mini mm-hmm. series and then a god awful eighteen episode regular t v show <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I remember watching the ones with uh, with Michael Ironside and uh, what's what's his name, Beastmaster, Mark Singer. Yes, yes. <laughs> his uh, his just wonderfully over the top acting in that show is just fantastic. And yeah, definitely subversive because you have like this sci fi plot, but it's it's a commentary on you know the whole the skinhead thing and, and Nazis and and stuff like that. So it's very it's it was very well done, especially for its time. A very Definitely a clever, uh, subversive show and uh, always going to be a classic.
1: What, what about the obvious one, Videodrome?
2: Videodrome
1: is is obviously a very subversive film in the fact that it's making a commentary on the type of film. It's a film about people becoming too affected watching violent gore films, and it's a violent gore film commenting on people watching violent gore films. It's a commentary on the burgeoning home video market. It's the commentary on, on cable television. It's also a commentary on sex. Because yeah. really, the, even though the Videodrome signal is not transmitted via sex, it's all very sexualized to the point where, like, Nikki Brand is almost the personification of deviant
2: sex in that, isn't she? Videodrome is one of those ones where it's not only subversive, but it is also Quite weird because, well, it's it's a Cronenberg movie, so it's got like weirdness to it, but it is very intelligent and and subversive as well. Uh, it, it's as you said, a commentary on how people are basically getting too desensitized uh, to violence, and it in that uh, in that film, it gets to the point where there's like the Videodrome channel is discovered as like uh, as a snuff channel of, of people really being killed. So I think it's uh it's a commentary on what could possibly happen if we if the envelope keeps uh, getting pushed further and further, like, what if that's what people will see as entertainment? Like, they can no longer take seriously watching, you know, fake violence. They gotta, they gotta see the real thing, and I think that's, that's pretty fucking And that's, and that was made in 81. Look at the commentary that that says about 2015. If anything, if anything, Videodrome is, is more relevant today than it is, uh, than it was now, just with the the rise of, of all the reality shows and, and stuff like, you know, Jackass, with people hurting themselves on purpose uh, to entertain people. So it's almost like we're actually close to getting a snuff channel because people are getting to the point where they would they would rather see people actually get hurt than see something that's acted out. I would say along that, Network is closer because, mm-hmm. with the exception
1: of the last two or two minutes or so of Network. Every single thing Patty Chayefsky said at the time was pure science fiction. Has hmm. happened, you know. I mean, Network even predicts reality TV a full twelve years before reality TV.
0: It's uh, it's great. I remember uh, the first time I saw it, I was like, I really like this. I don't understand it, but I, I <laughs> nobody I understood
3: it the first time they saw it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a uh, a look into uh, what. Uh, entertainment has become another one that was way ahead of its time. It was showing that, uh, you know, people wanted more and more twisted and weird stuff. And we, we kind of are there now where it's, it's almost, Oh God, you know, that's oh guy getting hit in the nuts. Oh, that's so, you know, like, like 1985 uh, America's funniest home videos crap. Like people are always kind of pushing the envelope and uh, you know, m- more violence and more uh, just, more over the top stuff and like peter said with with jackass people started just wanting to see these people hurt themselves they didn't you know it was they didn't care that there was no story they didn't care that uh there was no redeeming values it's just like oh look you hit him with a hammer it's funny it's depressing in in that aspect <laughs> well,
1: do you know what the original title the working title of Video Drum was network of blood <laughs> A little less <laughs> subtle than Videodrome, because even Videodrome is a very apt title. A yeah. drome is an arena of combat. Video drome. You tell me that doesn't actually signify kind of the internet now. It Isn't the does. internet a
2: Videodrome, really, when you break it down? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people uh, combating and uh, ripping each other apart in YouTube comments and videos and whatnot, so it really is pretty much just an arena of mostly... Very angry and hostile people.
1: You, you have one that I think most people do not consider a subversive film, but I absolutely do. That would be Ms. 45. Because Ms. 45, it it's packaged as a rape-revenge film. Yeah. Except she's totally wrong the entire time. Well, okay, <laughs> n- not the entire time. After the second rape, then she goes wrong. She's killing innocent people Ms. 45 is essentially a rape revenge film from the perspective of a serial killer who mm-hmm. got raped. Ms. 45 really turns what, at the time, again, putting it in its 1981 context, it really turns the whole slasher movie thing on its head by making the, quote, protagonist the villain. I mm-hmm. really do think Ms. 45 is a, is a very subversive film that even has been hailed by some people as a feminist film when it absolutely isn't. At, at <laughs> best, at best, Abel Ferrara is making fun of feminism because yeah. she thinks anything with a penis deserves to die.
0: Ms. 45 is one of the movies I thought I saw, but I actually was thinking of something else, so I've never actually seen Ms. 45. Well, I have it's, it. It's
1: as sleazy as you probably imagine it is.
0: Yeah, um, I've oh, seen a lot easy, of people yeah. talk. I gotta, yeah, I gotta watch it one of these days, but I'm just so behind on everything.
2: Oh, it is subversive, because it packages itself as a, as a vigilante film, as a rape-revenge film. It, It makes you think that it's gonna be something like, uh, Savage Streets, or maybe even I Spit on Your Grave, which I would, I would say that, uh, I Spit on Your Grave is, is more of the feminist type uh rape revenge movie because Well and also have- Miss
1: 45 came out 3 years before Savage Streets so
2: yeah that's true. I'm saying it's just that type of movie. It's it's like a, it it packages itself as a vigilante film but sort of becomes more of a character study on on a serial killer. She she starts out with the right idea, you know, killing uh killing the the thug that raped her. Uh, the, the first second- 20 minutes you side with her. Yeah, and then she kind of starts to go fucking crazy. Like, she's literally, she looks at, like, a couple on the street, you know, just, like, kissing and pecking and whatnot, and then follows the dude home to kill him in his own apartment, but can't do it because the, the, the building is locked. And she looks really disappointed. Like, she literally wanted to kill this guy simply because he was kissing his girlfriend. Like, it's it's an insane film, and and I love it for the, the twists and turns than it has and it's an absolute commentary on um taking feminism from too far and misogyny and misandry. It's it's um very ahead of its time. It's uh, I definitely need to see it Cecil. It's fucking awesome.
1: Now this next one I am being somewhat of a smart ass but you you are not going to be able to deny all of the things that I point out. Abraxas Guardian of the Universe. I think is a subversive gay film. Go, go, <laughs> I I'm serious. Go go with me here. Go with me. You have numerous moments of chasing this little child down. At one point, to get the collimator, Sven Lee Thorsen traps his kid in a basement. Music's rising. He starts slowly taking off his clothes, and he goes, it's just you and me now, little boy. Do not struggle. <laughs> it will not hurt as much. And I'm going, holy crap. Then you, you've got Jesse Ventura, shirtless, lying in bed with a little boy in pajamas who he makes sit on his lap while he t- tells a tale of his partner, of about two men who were partners and very close until literally a woman comes between them. He has he has his box, which gets video distortion, which he calls VD, on his arm, which he has to coat in plastic. I mean, seriously, is this not suddenly a gay
2: film, or am I just being a smartass? My box has VD. And even the characters look at him like, what? And he's like, vibrational detection. There's no way that wasn't intentional. Because even the, the but characters- I mean, that are, am, am I seeing homosexual innuendo where there isn't any? Or is this kind of pedophilic? Dude, it's 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 I think it may just it's the fact that it's like kind of low budget and weird and the writing was kind of wonky, but there are times where it seems um kind of intentional. Like, like it does seem like uh, Abraxas and Secundus, I believe that's uh, the, the hero and the villain. Uh, it seemed like they were kind of lovers, and there is this weird gay tinge with Jesse Ventura shirtless with the little kid, and and uh, and, and Secundus taking off his clothes while. Uh, what was the it was the song from Manhunter playing? I can't remember the name it, of it. it.
1: It was it was the prime mover, strong as I am.
2: Yes. As Which kind just... of
1: when you think about the title, you kind of
2: go, wow, that's that doesn't help the case, does it? <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think there may be um, an undertone of like a, a sort of sort of a gay undertone there. Like they, like they were kind of basing this uh, science fiction movie, uh, this, uh, you know, this science fiction plot uh, around a, a gay couple that that broke up and are now having conflict.
0: Uh, I think I need to go back and watch Abraxas again. Cause, you <laughs> the didn't last pick time... up any of that, did you? Well, no, no, no. A I, I, little bit here and there, because it's like, you know, when you're watching a movie and you're like, <laughs> you, you, you get like little glimpses here and there because you're kind of laughing at, uh, you know, that. But I mean, looking at it overall, uh, I think that you're probably onto something. Put that up with like Top Gun as far as just totally. Just a, a ga- I mean, the, I, I know it's kind of old hat at this point, but there was that one movie where um, Tarantino is deconstructing Top Gun I, wasn't and that like, uh, my best friend's birthday or something like that. Something like that, where it's like over the course of like like three different things where they're like, come back to it and they're like, OK, you know, and then there's Iceman and, and he's gay. You know? and, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> and that whole routine was very funny. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I could see something like that with a Braxes. I'm sure there's more movies out there and stuff where they kind of inserted a little bit of stuff here and there just as like a goof. And then there's occasionally somebody will pick up on it, but, ah, nah, it's just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking too far into it.
2: Top Gun is a gay porno without the porn. Oh, but then, you know, speaking of, of like gay subversion, look at Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge.
0: Oh, oh that wasn't that's even. That's
2: absolutely, it's absolutely is a gay movie. If If you, uh. Listen to Mark Patton talk about it, and the, the the writer, they, all of it was intentional. There, there are a lot of people that made that movie that still to this day say stuff like, "What? No, it wasn't, it wasn't gay. I didn't notice that anything." Well, like I that. mean, I, I, I'll admit it. I didn't notice it the first time I watched it.
1: <laughs>
2: it totally is, man. It's like he's he's trying to get inside me.
3: <laughs>
2: so are you saying you want me to sleep with you?
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so like really obvious now watching it, you know, it's, like
2: it's, uh, it's done really well, though. I think that actually really added. it's a actually done element. pretty su- with the exception of the gym teacher.
1: Every, yeah. All the gay stuff in that movie is pretty subtle. The, the, the gay gym teacher, little over the top.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think I think the dance sequence in uh, early on in the film, that kind of tipped me off that I'm like, all right, this is a little gay. I would be more embarrassed if my like if I was that guy's age and my parents walked in on me than if they had walked in on me jerking off.
1: <laughs> you have movies that are thought to be subversive, and they're really not. Like like Scream. My hatred of the Scream movies is well known and well documented. You to hear Kevin Williamson talk about it, Scream is this super subversive indictment of slasher movies, man but it's not. It's really, really weak parody. You want a great, subtle indictment of slasher movies? Friday the 13th Part 6. Tom McLaughlin meant all of that, and he was basically making fun of not only Friday the 13th fans, but the other five films in the franchise in such a brilliant way that it works
0: as a film in the franchise. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm going to throw one in there uh, when people are talking about slasher movies that, uh, you know, uh, Scream was the And I like Scream. I'm not going to show on Scream. There's a movie called There's Nothing Out There completely. They they break the fourth wall. Uh, I mean, at one point it, it's it's this alien comes down. These these bunch of kids go to a cabin uh, in the woods. They're they're having sex with each other. And there's like each character, you know, there's the jock. There's the nerd. There's the you know, the, the kid who knows too much about horror the guy who knows all the stuff about horror, he keeps kind of pointing out like, wait a minute, you know, why, why is there a cat in the closet? Why is this here? Why is this like this? At one point, uh, there's this, this alien that's eating them at one point. He grab like he's trying to figure out how to get away from the alien. It's standing between him and the door, and he actually looks up and sees the boom mic, and he grabs a hold of the boom mic uh, arm and swings off of that and gets away to safety. It's like that kind <laughs> of like just really funny humor, and oh, it's such a good movie.
3: It absolutely
2: is, and it does it in a in a really great way. Um, I think part six is is uh, not only one of the most solid. Uh, entries in that franchise but it's so cleverly written it's so funny the the pace and uh and and the comedic timing is so spot on really is absolutely uh a subversive uh satirical take on uh on horror and and doing a lot of uh self-referential stuff whereas with with scream i wouldn't call that one like i'm not gonna bash on like i do like scream i'm with cecil on that one but i'm not gonna call it a subversive film i'll call it a self-referential one that kind of I don't even know if it really breaks the fourth wall, but I guess it's a horror movie that exists in a universe where, you know, movies like Halloween and Friday the 13th are are actually are just movies within that world. And there's a serial killer kind of mimicking them. Like It's self-referential, but that's that's about it. Another one that that people don't see as what it is
1: would be 1980s Without Warning, a.k.a. It Came Without Warning which mm. is essentially a prototype for what Predator would be, but in America. The entire movie is about an alien hunter that comes to Earth to hunt humans to take trophies. And most mm-hmm. of the human he's, humans he's hunting are hunters hunting deer and duck and whatnot. The whole yeah. thing is that the whole point of the movie is why, is, why is he the villain when he's doing the exact same thing that you are, but it's okay when you do it?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh
0: God, yeah, I, probably because he ends up killing more than just hunters. Well, like they he, are, Well, come on,
1: Martin Landau is shooting at him.
0: Yes, <laughs> but I mean, he goes after he goes after the kids, and oh my God, one of the doesn't hold up quite as much now. But the whole movie, you don't see the alien, which and then the which, big. Ironically movie,
1: enough, is Kevin Peter
0: Hall. Yeah, which exactly is Kevin Peter Hall, a freaking seven foot eight. But yeah, the, but then they show the alien at the end in such an amazing way where it's just light, you know, lights up in the room and it's, Arr! oh my God, I saw that it was on like a, you know, ABC million dollar movie or whatever, at like midnight, I started watching it on television and I'm like, this is awesome. Scared mm-hmm.
2: the hell out of me. It was so good. You didn't so even know good. who David Caruso was when you saw his corpse. No. <laughs> It's in like the corner of the room in the light. Yes. Room. It's so f**ing freaky. Like it, it's
0: so uh, scary.
2: That is not a movie that you watch like alone at night. Like never. It's, that's, that's the stupidest uh, choice you can make. That is a subversive film. It's making a commentary on hunting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty overt commentary on hunting. Like I know that Cecil mentioned that obviously it, it kills more than just the hunters. It kills the kids as well. But I do think that the point is that it's. It's got this kind of uh, anti-hunting message that the these people that are hunting deer, and especially the the first hunter that's killed at the beginning of the movie, that's like you know really disappointed with his son. That his son. Yeah,
1: he, he's hunt. trying to make his son a man by taking him out hunting, and then they yeah. both get killed by an
2: alien hunter. No, mm-hmm. there's no subtle commentary there, is is there? <laughs> yeah. So you that's kind of. I think that was that was the driving point of the film, and obviously it's. It is, in essence, a slasher movie where, you know, it's it's kind of everybody... is a prototype is very, Predator. It absolutely is. Predator ha- is kind of, in essence, sort of the same thing. You have your intergalactic hunter that comes to hunt uh, soldiers. It, that's his big game. He's an asshole, and you kind of want him to die because he's treating his son like shit, telling him that he's like, you know, like a pussy because he doesn't hunt, and then he gets taken out. So in a way, you kind of agree with this whole, with the... Uh, anti-hunting message. Like it's uh, it's it's done in a in a very clever way for um for such a smaller you know exploitation kind of movie.
1: The next one I'm going to bring up is almost the king of modern subversive films, Fight Club. Mm. This movie was sold as a violent macho machismo kind of movie. When the entire thing, I mean, Chuck Palianuk being an openly gay man, there's no way you can look at the fact that this is not a not just a gay movie, but this is a movie making fun of like men's rights activists and, and all of these kind of manly, manly men kind of things. That's mm-hmm. the entirety of what Fight Club is about. I mean, Tyler Durden is the masculine id run amok, isn't he?
2: Fight Club is... Definitely totally, completely outwardly a a satire on stuff like that. Um and, and and that's another one that has like some and obviously because probably because the writer is gay, but there's some total gay undertones there where um the narrator, you could say, is like in love with Tyler Durden and they've almost got this like married couple vibe about them. Not just that, Tyler
1: has a great line when he's taking a bath in front of Jack and mm. he's like I'm starting to think another another woman is the last thing we need in our lives. And then they go out to a bar with a bunch of men. You'll notice yeah. there's not a single woman in the bar where Fight Club is started. It's a
2: mm-hmm. gay bar. Which is, uh, it's it's great. The movie completely makes fun of, yeah, the, the whole men's rights thing, the overly macho thing. It, uh, it, it picks on misogyny and, and stuff like that, uh, where there, there are so many people, I find it, it's, to me, it's it's just as weird as people that look up to Scarface uh, as, like, inspiration for their rap careers or whatever. Because, because they don't
1: see the last five minutes.
2: Yeah, there, there's people, there's he, the, same, there's he, the he, same kind of people that, like, see Tyler Durden as this, like, quote-worthy, you know, god, this iconic character. But he's he's a piece of shit. Like, well, also the fact that all the while he's telling, you know, you are not a beautiful
1: and unique snowflake and we got to break the status quo, he's turning all of the space monkeys into the status quo. They're just his status quo. Exactly. They're they're becoming everything that they're claiming to fight against. It's an incredibly subversive film. And I'm not making this up. This is talked about on the extras. To get rid of Tyler, Jack has to literally take a shot in the mouth from a phallic (laughs) object.
0: Right. You tell me there's not gay subtext there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's a great movie though. It still is. It is funny, like you said with uh, Scarface, how people are projecting it in the wrong way. It's like it's not that it's they're they're not great movies. They're great movies, but they're looking at you know oh well uh they're they're fighting the system and they're well yeah but there's more going on than just that.
2: Everything that that Tyler has, uh, the ideas are completely backwards and horrible and wrong, and the narrator has to has to stop it. Like there there are some ideas there about like you know the whole anti society, anti government stuff, where it's like some of it kind of sounds like a good idea, but you realize more and more it, it's it's the ramblings of a of a lunatic.
1: Well, and then uh, another one which I, Cecil you haven't seen, but Peter. I would say Joe Dante's Second Civil War is a hell of a subtle indictment of, of not just the news, but the sensationalism of modern culture, isn't it?
2: Oh, hell yeah, it's, and it's done brilliantly.
1: You know, you've got, you've got that, or one of the—a movie we talked about extensively. I would go so far as to say Poltergeist 3 is a subversive film, simply by the fact that they make The Doctor— the one rational person who reacts to every situation the way a normal rational person would the villain that's a very subversive
2: element isn't it yeah yeah i didn't actually didn't think about that i can see that point that's that's pretty awesome what do you think a subversive film needs to do
1: to be seen as such do you think something it has to be something like Friday the 13th part 6 versus scream where scream is much more overt and is not trying to be subversive, it is what it is. Do you think a subversive film really needs to be something that is pretending to be something else as a way to slip a message that you might not even notice? I like
0: the subtlety. I like when you go in expecting one thing and you kind of get something else, and it kind of sneaks a little thing in there. Because like when I went to see Fight Club... From the trailers, it made it look like it was going to be kind of an action, you know, uh, down with the man movie. And it was to a little bit, but then there was much more of the subversion in there. And I liked that. I liked uh, when a movie makes you think a little bit more. So I would go with more of the subtle stuff than just the, you know, in your face kind of stuff. I mean, I will say there, there have been a few movies like Scream and movies that came out, you know, in the post Scream era, as they called it that did turn a lot of the horror movie stuff on its ear. Some were more subtle than others, uh, but I don't think that there's really, I, I don't really have a problem with those. I don't think that there's uh, an issue. I think that it's kind of funny that they're able to point that stuff out. Uh, it's just a matter of how well it's done. But in general, I prefer the more like subtle stuff.
2: Well, I like, uh, I like being surprised. Um, I like it when I go into a movie thinking it's going to be a certain thing, and then it ends up kind of, Kind of surprising you with its, uh, with like a hidden message or, or something like that. Like, uh, like it follows did a really good job of that, where it's it's an alien horror movie that's actually a kind of a commentary on STDs. Baba Duke is like a slow burn '70s ghost monster type movie, but it's actually got an underlying element of um, like uh, men- mental disorders. Like that's kind of it, it. It throws in that little little hidden message and you don't expect it going in. And, and it's really awesome when it's done the right way. Uh, it's another good example of, of stuff I've seen recently, like, uh, like Nicholas Reffin's Only God Forgives. I went into thinking it was going to be a revenge vigilante kind of movie. And instead it's, it's looked at from the side of the bad guys. And there's this underlying message of the the cop is basically God. And he's the only one that can forgive the 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 family of the you know of the brother that raped uh, the the little girl and and shit like that. So I I really like it. I like going into a movie and uh, you know obviously expecting to, to have a good time and then actually leaving and having some stuff to think about and and watching a movie that that gave me more than just you know the blood and explosions for for, for half to two hours. Like I I think it's really. It's great when they do it that way, when it surprises you, when it's marketed a certain way, and then you come out of it with more than you were expecting. Like when it's uh, when it bludgeons you with with uh, how smart it is and how amazingly groundbreaking it's going to be, in the trailers or on the poster or whatever, then it's it kind of just feels pretentious. I, I like it when when it just sells you on on its title and some of the things that it shows you in a trailer or on a poster, and then you come out of it like, wow, that was. That was awesome and gave me so much more.
1: And, and see, I, I, I like the more, the, the more subtle. Like something like John Carpenter's The Thing is all about mm. trust and how trust yeah. can be destroyed by one single act. And then you've got something like, to hear Stallone tell it, the Expendables movies are, are a subversive satire of 80s action movies, except they're not. They are just 80s action movies made today. That's not subversion. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know I'm going to take some crap for this, but I don't think Stallone is smart enough to really make a true satire of 80s action movies. The Expendables films are the the beat-you-over-the-head variety.
2: Well, the thing with Stallone is uh, I do think he's a a great writer, but it's kind of hard to uh, take Expendables seriously as a satire when you've got all these genuine action guys doing badass shit. Like, it just kind of makes it an action movie instead of a satirical one. Because you've got Stallone, and he's very easy to take seriously as a badass. Cecil, where can people find you absolutely being part of the system?
0: You can find me being part of the system at escapistmagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com, geekjuicemedia.com, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Facebook, all those wonderful blah, blah, places. Blah, blah, blah,
1: blah. Peter, where can we where can we find you wanting to, wanting to subvert the system, but still being part of it?
2: You can find me reaching into my own stomach and having a gun that's my hand for some reason that shoots uh, cancer that shoots cancer on uh twitter at zinematica and youtube cinemasochist and facebook cinemasochist and on 1201beyond.com long living the new flesh
1: death to video drone long live the new flesh at 1201beyond.com you can get t-shirts there, you can click on some links, you can get a lot of cool material there. And if you want to contact this show, you can con- you can do so at 1201beyond at gmail.com, where I'll totally subvert your expectations by being a nice guy.
3: We'll be